There's a story I love told by Will Willimon, the former dean of Duke Chapel. Willimon got a call one day from the father of a graduating student he'd gotten to know in his work as pastor at the chapel. And it was clear that the father was none too pleased with the pastoral influence that Willimon had on his daughter. I hold you personally responsible for this, he yelled over the phone. He was angry because his daughter had decided, as he put it, to throw it all away and go and do mission work in Haiti with the Presbyterian Church. Isn't that absurd? The dad said. She has a Bachelor of Science degree from Duke and she's going to dig ditches in Haiti. I hold you responsible for this. Wilman tried to stay calm and pastoral and asked him, Why me? And the father replied, You ingratiated yourself and filled her with all of this religion stuff. Willeman answered back, Sir, weren't you the one who had her baptized? Well, 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 yes, the father said. And, and didn't you take her to Sunday school when she was a little girl? Well, yes, I did. And didn't you allow your daughter to go on those youth group ski trips to Colorado when she was in high school? Yes. But what does that have to do with anything? replied her dad. Sir, Willeman said, you're the reason she's throwing it all away. You introduced her to Jesus, not me. But, said the father, all we wanted was a Presbyterian. Willeman replied, well, I'm sorry, sir, you messed up. You've gone and made a disciple of Jesus. As an aside, if you like that story, and he has more where that came from, Willman is coming to Dallas next month to give a talk for our diocese called Keep Christianity Weird. Um, I came up with the title, and I'm organizing it, and I encourage all of you to come. That's not the point of this morning, however. The passage we read this morning from Luke's Gospel is intended to warn us, I think, that these kinds of confrontations will be par for the course, divisions, you might say, in the family, when we decide to become a disciple of this strange Lord Jesus. Father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mothers against sons, daughters against fathers, in-laws against in-laws. The very same Jesus who says elsewhere, peace I leave with you, my own peace I give to you, here asks us, do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. These are the words of the one whom scripture names the Prince of Peace. I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. What are we to make of this? I think that first of all, we need to dismiss the idea of a kind of Jekyll and Hyde Jesus. Nice and, and then uh, grumpy, one time and another time. One half peace-loving flower child and one half bomb-throwing revolutionary. If we don't dismiss that right away, we're liable to think that the picture we get of Jesus in the Gospels is just flat-out contradictory, and then go ahead and choose the kind of Jesus that we like best. 
depending on whether our personality or circumstances at the moment prefer angry revolutionary Jesus or gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Oftentimes it will be angry revolutionary Jesus toward the people we don't like, but gentle Jesus, meek and mild toward us. Whenever we see something like this that seems contradictory in the Bible, we should first ask ourselves whether or not the apparent contradiction rests on some image or assumption that we have that needs to be made deeper and more complex. Here, I think, is very much one of those times. Because when we look deeper at what seems on the surface like a contradiction, we actually see something very revealing. Much of the time, I think that we assume that we have to decide between these two kinds of postures in our lives. That is, angry revolutionary or gentle, meek, and mild. Either we confront wrongs and do battle with injustices in a take-no-prisoners, bomb-throwing, confrontational kind of way, or we go along to get along, chill out, live and let live, and avoid confrontation of any kind in the name of maintaining a surface-level peace. I wonder which tendency you see in yourself. I wonder which tendency you see in your family life. Or what approach did your family take growing up? Think about it for a moment. The fact is, I think, that most of us, most of the time, fall into one or the other tendency. And neither one is all that healthy. The Louisiana novelist Walker Percy thought that Southerners have a special talent for sweeping things under the rug, for not talking about the elephant in the room, and relying on an elaborate code of courtesy and manners that allows you to avoid saying what you really think, except buried under several layers of misdirection. I fairly quickly learned down here that to say, bless her heart, does not actually mean that you pray that God would bless someone's heart. Southerners, however, don't have the market cornered on this kind of thing. I sometimes drive my wife up the wall because she can't get me to express an actual preference, even when I really do have one, or say something negative about someone even if I think it. I've come to learn this about myself. I'm non-confrontational to a fault, and it's no small part because both my family of origin and the North Dakota, Minnesota nice culture that I was raised in just are that way. Now, I'll rush to my defense to say that there are virtues to this approach. Both love and prudence know that there's a time and a season for all things, and it's not always the time for confrontation. But it's not never the time either. Avoiding things that matter is no recipe for peace, except a surface-level peace that's not really worthy of the name. Reinhold Niebuhr and many others point out that it's often the powerful who speak up for peace against revolution and confrontation because it means that the order of things that benefits them won't be challenged. That was true about some who criticized Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement decades ago, and it's no doubt true today still as well. There are very regrettably, I think, too many people for, who for too long refuse to speak up about the abuse crisis in the Catholic Church 
because it risked damaging the church's reputation, telling difficult truths that people didn't want to hear, and starting painful conflicts that people wanted to avoid. Of course, it's not just the Catholic Church that has this problem. We also, in the Me Too movement, recently learned that Hollywood has the same problem, and far too many institutions do as well. Now, it doesn't always get to that kind of level, thankfully, but I think every institution and every family that you and I have ever been a part of experiences this temptation to some degree. That is, there's often something that people know is true in the back of their minds but won't say out loud because they'd rather be liked, promoted by the inner ring, the people in charge, liked, and they'd rather not stick their necks out and take a risk. about this for a moment. Is there something like this that you recognize in your life? If that is you, well then the words of Jesus this morning are for you. You need to remember that the peace that Jesus brought is not one that rests on injustice and lies and avoidance. If that's the kind of peace that you're trying to preserve Remember that Jesus came not to preserve that kind of peace, but a sword. But to say that non-confrontational types like me sometimes do need to stand up and speak out and let the fires of justice burn is not to say that the right course of action is always going to be to tear the house down in the name of truth and justice. There's another type of personality, I think, that so strongly feels the slings and arrows of injustice that they can't help but fight out, fight back at every little thing. They can't help but bring up, let's say, the president at Thanksgiving dinner, even though they know that bringing up politics will rile up Uncle Joe and set him and Aunt Peg at each other's throats for the rest of the evening. They can't help but post something on Facebook or Twitter that lets everyone know that they're on the side of justice and righteousness and someone else is utterly wrong. The thing about the fires of justice is that when you and I are the ones lighting them, it's very hard for them to burn without getting out of control and becoming destructive. Our temptation is to want to burn down not only injustice, but the people we think are unjust. We tend to forget, in Solzhenitsyn's great line, that the line between good and evil runs down the middle of every human heart. Not just between we good guys over here and those bad guys over there. We tend to lose sight of the goal of actually doing something about injustice and moving toward reconciliation. And we get more interested in showing everyone around us, the right people at least, how very good and just and enlightened we are. I hope that you've started to see through all this that taking a closer look in this instance at Scripture, in a way at Scripture that at first seems contradictory, is actually a way into a deeper level of understanding. We don't have to choose between happy flower child Jesus and angry revolutionary Jesus because that's a false dichotomy that corresponds to the unhealthy ways that we usually deal with things. 
either sweeping everything under the rug to keep a surface-level peace that's not worthy of the name, or getting so boiling mad and confrontational and self-righteous that we want to destroy everyone and everything that falls short of our standard of perfection. Neither of these options, finally, are what we see in Jesus. Jesus does, to be sure this morning, get incandescently angry. It's one of the angriest times we see him in the Gospels, to be honest. At other points, he gets angry at injustice, turns over the tables in the temple, speaks truth to power to the Pharisees. But his anger is never anything other than a dimension of his love. Jesus loves his enemies while he's angry at them. And do you know what? The category of enemies, of God's enemies, turns out to include every one of us. St. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, God proves his love for us in that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved through his life. St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ and entrusting the ministry of reconciliation to us. For Jesus, there is no mere surface-level peace that will do. Neither is there only the peace to be found among the righteous few after everyone else is reprogrammed, subjugated, or killed. Neither is the peace in Jesus the peace to be found among the dead after other, another Noah's flood destroys the whole earth. No. Instead, Christ brings peace through the cross when God took upon himself the sins of the world so that in Christ we sinners might clothe ourselves in the righteousness of God. When the next test comes for you, and it may very well come as soon as Sunday brunch after church, ask yourself two questions first. That is, when you're tempted to confront someone over much or not confront them at all, ask yourself two questions first. Will my response to this injustice or wrong put me in some way at risk? Is it costly for me? Does it make me vulnerable somehow? If it doesn't, then you may well be choosing the path of the easy surface-level peace that papers over injustice and wrongs instead of confronting them when the time comes. Second, can my response to whatever it may be contribute to a pathway toward reconciliation? Am I truly acting in love toward my friend or family member who's done me wrong? Am I acting in love toward my enemy? Or am I just seeking to defend myself, to signal how righteous and superior I am, to cut someone off from my company, or to land a good hard counterpunch at someone 
who's offended me? The answer to either of those questions is yes, then it may not be the way of Christ. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation, and it will always mean walking the way, the costly way of the cross. The Prince of Peace has lit a fire in this world, not a fire that destroys, but a holy fire that cleanses and purifies as it burns. The burning bush of the great I am God, which is nothing other than the burning heart of the God of love. May it burn in you and in me. Amen. Amen.